Every leader, seasoned or new to leadership, is about to hear from one of the best officers I've worked with in 22 years. So grab your notebook, clear your mind, and be in receive mode. You don't walk in day one for brigade command and thinking, you know, hey, I know exactly what to do for the next two years. Who has impacted you the most? I physically, painfully learned that lesson. If you want to go to school and you can meet everything that Colonel Hope just talked about, I'll get you there. We, the leaders of the regiment, had broke trust with our formation. This is Command Sergeant Major Mike Burke. And today in the studio, we want to welcome the 80th Colonel of the regiment, Colonel Hope. Today we'll be discussing leadership. The goal is to highlight the amazing job he's done as a commander in creating what I would consider one of the best teams I've ever seen. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Sergeant Major, I appreciate that introduction. Um, <laughs> I think it's maybe a bit inflated. Oh, no, not at all. In fact, it's underinflated, sir. I appreciate it. And I appreciate this opportunity. I will miss this place for sure. This is just another opportunity with this podcast to try to leave you know one more thing behind Absolutely. and just get that one more chance that one more rep to say, oh, that, that one last thing, yeah. that one last thing to the great soldiers and leaders of this regiment. I think though, sir, I think you give everything that you could possibly give as a human being, as a man, as a father, as a leader, as an officer to the regiment as a whole. There's a lot of different places we could start, sir. What was your first uh, kind of thought and reactions when you found out you were going to come to TCR? You've been told that you're going to you're going to get to compete for a brigade command, and you get the list of the available brigades. And so I saw this list of all these brigades. Man, if you get a chance to go to any of them, I mean, what a humbling, humbling opportunity. I took it home and I showed it to my wife, and just right away we were both like, "Let's go to Germany." Second Cavalry Regiment. And what was funny is I had a couple of uh, good friends, you know, friends in quotes here. I'm air quoting friends. They're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Don't put that down. You're going to waste your vote. You've never been there. And, you know, that place, you've got to be known. you got to be a known entity. The reality is they had both been here and they were competing Uh, for it as well. They wanted the job. They were tired of talking me out of it. Uh, But I went ahead. I put 2CR down top of my list. And, man, when I found out, everybody I knew in the Army that had been there immediately started coming up on that. Like, man, you, you just won the lottery. I mean, that is the best place uh, to go to Vilsec, to be a part of the 2nd Cavalry Regiment, to, to lead that organization. And I think that's when it hit me. Like, you're, you're excited, then you're like, well, can I really do this? Okay. I, I started looking in the news and seeing, man, they, these guys are all over Europe. I mean, they're yep. an independent brigade. They're, I saw what had happened with Straber Strikes in the past or what were called the Dragoon Rides at that time. And yep. I'm looking going, wow, am I, do I really have what it takes to go be the leader for that organization? Yep. You start to have some self-doubt. Absolutely. You go through a period of self-doubt. You do. What really helped me was uh, I got the chance to come over here and be here. So I got a chance to be here on Graf and Veer, working over at 7th ATC and kind of watching from afar. And that really started to help build my confidence because you start to kind of understand the the context of, of, of the regiment and what we do. I think that's a benefit, too. Because I got to do the same thing, sir. I came over here about six months before I took over, you know, second squadron originally. So you learn a lot of things. You get some kind of inside baseball and you learn a lot about organization. Sir, talk to us about the team concept. Every commander's got a philosophy, but the consistency in your messaging and also how you messaged it was impressive because you went to every single troop within the regiment, you did PT, and then you talked to them. And you talked to them why it was important to you and why you thought it was a key to success. So command philosophies, pretty common in our army. And I recognize as a commander, if done right, could be very powerful. When I've seen them be very powerful, it's because the commander truly owns it, is truly passionate about that philosophy. So first, you know, I talked about that time where I was over 7th ATC and I was working on that command philosophy. And it took me about seven months to come up with that one word to understand and, and to develop for myself what those four letters would mean. If I was told, when you get to 2CR, you only get to say one word to them, what would the word be? 
And I decided my word was team. A team's got to have trust, man. I mean, that's first and foremost. There's got to be trust from leaders to lead, from officer to NCO. That's one of the awesome things I think about being a cavalry regiment is when I see 2CR, there are 37 troop guidons out there and they're all the same color. Absolutely. Yeah. They're all cavalry red over white, blood over surrender, right? <laughs> they are. They're not, you know, there's not infantry ones and sustainment ones and field artillery and engineer. It's just 37 cavalry guidons. And so I thought that was powerful. Then you've got to make sure that every soldier inside this regiment, everybody matters, not just the soldiers, the families. It doesn't really matter if you're a PFC or if you're a field grade officer in the regiment. We've all got a part. We're all part of the team. and Each and every one of us matter. There's not a lot of brigades that get to do what we do, go all across Europe. You know, we're where we would fight now. And we're part of the daily fight of assuring our allies and deterring our adversaries. And so everyone here has to be an ambassador for their nation. So I determined that's what the A was going to be about. It's got to be about trust. Everybody here has got to matter. You got to be an ambassador for our nation. Engage with our allies and partners. You know, your credentials as a soldier in the 2nd Cavalry Regiment, they're not in the center of your chest. Your credentials aren't your rank. Your credentials are your American flag on your right shoulder. Because you go meet with that allied or partnered army, they don't know what your rank is. I don't know what their ranks are. I just find the old looking people like me and I salute them because they probably outrank me. And then lastly, you look at our original motto. It could not be more perfect. Always ready. And I looked and said, so then I've got an M left here. I got to come up with something. Hey, our mission is readiness. Yeah. And you can read it that that's why every soldier matters. It takes every rank and every MOS across this regiment to get the mission done. What's unique, too, about 2CR is you might be a sergeant, but you happen to be a sergeant that is qualified to train the trainer on the javelin. It will send you up to Estonia and you'll train an entire army on the javelin weapon system. You're not just teaching privates up in the Estonian army. You're teaching company commanders and battalion commanders and everything else how to use and employ those weapon systems. Well, now I have to ask, sir, because you did say motto. So we have an unofficial motto. We kill tanks. How did that come about, sir? You don't walk in day one for brigade command and thinking, you know, hey, I know exactly what to do for the next two years. I need to learn nothing else. Every yeah, other soldier. There are people that think that, but they're not one of them. Absolutely. <laughs> Every day I've been here, I've learned something new. I learned from those around me. Coming in the door, I talked about team incessantly. I think for you and probably the squadron commanders and their CSM, they're like, oh, he's going to talk about team again. But you, you got to keep repeating the message and everybody hears it. I sensed that everybody understood it and we were moving in that direction. I saw the culture start to change in the direction I want to change. And I started to ask myself, Myself, what do you next need to tell the organization? How can you put in a very short, simple sentence or just a few words, the purpose of this organization, and everybody else? And then, you know, for our higher headquarters at the user level, you know, there's some there's some plans that we're a part of and so forth. And I looked at it and said, well, what would we essentially have to do? And I came up with, we kill tanks. That's what this regiment does. All 4,400 of us, every MOS, every rank, we, the team, we kill tanks. Absolutely. And that's it. And if we focus on that, if, if we are the Army's expert brigade at anti-tank, we win. Yep. We win. And that's what our Army does. I wanted to have a way for you and I that when that newest private arrived organization, that newest lieutenant or that non-commissioned officer that came from another brigade, I wanted to have a way when I just get that very short time to interact with them and welcome to the team, say, hey, welcome to the team and just know we kill tanks. That's what we do. So they hear it right from us where I hope to be a short bumper sticker that was, I was looking for, is it sticky? The other side of that, down to the lowest level, the young non-commissioned officers and, you know, the first arts and platoon arts, it got them focused. You go through 350-1 training, you go through all the things that we're supposed to accomplish for DTMS and the regimental commander's focus is, is that we kill tanks. Think back to my commissioning source, and I remember a non-commissioned officer telling me that my job as an officer was to provide purpose, direction, and motivation. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. sir. Right. And at the end of the day, if nothing else, provide purpose, direction and motivation. And my intent here, my hope has been is that we kill tanks does those three things. It's purpose. It is a direction for the organization and it's motivation to train. Absolutely, sir. Who has impacted you the most? It's not so much an individual who. I mean, there's 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 clearly been individuals such as yourself uh, and others that have impacted me. But I would say the group that has impacted me the most has been the team leaders and squad leaders. Everything in our army we come up with from from four star down to me to all the way down to troop level commanders gets done by a squad leader. It all ends up on the squad leader. You know, one of my greatest desires as commanders to prevent suicide in this regiment. Absolutely, sir. Because uh, I just think it's a fight we can win. I know it's a fight we can win. And we had had one about a year ago, and it stuck with me. You know, deep down knew that, man, we, we can do better than this. There maybe is not a more complex issue in our army or in just all of humanity than suicide. I mean, the complexity of trying to stop another human being from the act of taking their own life, Right. I realized that, okay, to really probably solve this, it was going to have to be the squad there because the other ones are truly with their, with their soldiers day in and day out. That is so incredibly complex. Our most inexperienced leaders in the regiment, most of them have, have only been in the chain command at that point for just a few years or less. Yeah, they're still you know, 20, 21 year old. Right. They're still, still developing as leaders. We're asking our most inexperienced leaders to solve our most complex problems. The human dimension, right? And so, it, I guess it was sometime last year. I had an opportunity. We got all the uh, we got all the squad leaders together in the theater, and we had a conversation uh, about suicide prevention. So I decided this is where we're going to prevent it. At. It's going to be at the squad leader level. So I got to do something. I got to start help mentoring squad leaders in this complex problem. And I remember being in that room, and at some point, I just I mean, I just ask a question: Who here doesn't think this is their problem? I didn't get the answer that I anticipated. They said, absolutely, I want to own this. I want to be part of the solution. But what I'm asking for is help. I need help to get this done. I need to be trained. I need to be resourced. Man, that's that's my job. That's your job. That's what we do. We're responsible for training and resourcing. And so I, I walked out of there. I mean, I, I just felt so uh, incredibly powerful. That was the attitude of our non-commissioned officers. And that's when I, right there, I was like, okay, we can do this. I, I know we can do this. And then we went to work right on the regimental staff of coming up with a strategy of how we could train and resource down to the squad level to, per, to prevent a suicide in this organization. And that's, that's been incredibly important to me. I think from that, there has been trust built in the organization. These younger soldiers can turn to any level of leadership, say, I'm struggling, I'm having an issue, and they're going to get the help that they need. That was a regimental initiative, but who's it going to be actually executed by? It's going to be executed by these young sergeants and staff sergeants at the end of the day. Yeah, so I mean, you think about it. So that, that's why they have impacted me the most. Everything from that incredibly powerful topic we just talked about, suicide, to striker gunner, right? I think about, you know, we're the only striker brigade in the Army that has the 3mm dragoon, the Crows J. You know, there's no manual to go to. But we all know those vehicles are owned by squad leaders. Every maneuver squad leader has one. And so we said, here's this platform. We, we don't have any manual on it. We haven't trained you on it. You went to no course at Fort Benning that taught you how to use this thing. But here's what I want you to do. Don't break it. Maintain it. Be safe. And train your squad to be lethal and, and go out and, and kill tanks. And so once again... The squad leaders continued to impress. I was concerned that that's going to wear off over time. And six, eight months down the road, we're going to start to see, yeah, we're going to start to trit the knowledge here. We're, that didn't happen. The, our non-commissioned officers and, and our young lieutenants out there took this on with passion and started providing the ideas of, hey, here's a best practice on this. We tried this and this failed. Don't do this. 
I'm just as happy when people come and tell me about what doesn't work as, as opposed to what does work. I mean, you need both sides of the conversation. So on that point, sir, you've created an environment where it's okay to fail. No idea is a bad idea. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But let's exploit the successes. Let's share it across the organization. Let's just constantly get better. Created this environment where the talent really has taken hold of the organization and accelerated the organization and what it's able to accomplish. I haven't seen that a lot in my career. What's your mentality behind that? And just by nature, I think I'm a perpetual optimist. Our army isn't perfect, but I think it is one of the most egalitarian organizations that you could become a part of. I haven't done anything special in our army. I've done average things. But what I've seen in our army is if if you get a group of average soldiers with leaders that truly care and them, if there's that true commitment between leaders and led, a group of average people can do extraordinary things. I looked at how much the army invested in me. If you commit to this team, we will invest in you. We won't limit you. The army will limit you. You're the limit. Yeah. How, how far do you want to go? There's some books out there that I'm a fan of, but I ask people to read. If I could leave behind a little bit of a reading list, there's a great book uh, written by a guy named Michael Watkins called The First 90 Days. And I asked a lot of leaders in the regiment to read about it because uh, it's this idea is that as you move between organizations or even as you, you know, as you fleet up inside of an organization, what's different about it? You know, one of the things you got to be careful of, I think, and as you move echelons in our army to leadership positions, uh, what you did in the last place might not necessarily work in the right, next place. Yeah. It just It's just a good book to help to conceptualize that problem and think through it. Uh, there's another uh, great book out there called uh, Leadership is Language. The, the gentleman that wrote actually wrote a book to it first talks about, uh, you know, getting tasked to be a commander of a, of a submarine that he had never been on before. Not that type of submarine. He realized he's the commander, but he, he's one of the most uninformed people about this platform that he's responsible for. Another one's uh, it's called the Cotter uh, change model. If there's anyone constant about the army, the constant is change. I didn't know what COVID was six months ago. None of us did. I mean, I had a whole beautiful plan for 2020. Oh, it was on beautiful PowerPoint oh. slides. Right. We did have a heck of a plan. Heck of a plan, long range training calendar, saber strike, all those things. I didn't know about COVID. I'm hearing about these things called murder hornets. I'm a little concerned. I got the original three shop looking into that. Um, I will tell you, though, you'd asked earlier, maybe one of the most impactful people on me. I've never personally ever gotten to talk to in my life. I was sitting in the brigade pre-command course and the sergeant major of the army came. Uh, command Sergeant Major Daly. And I remember he just, he was looking at all of us. And at some point, they just kind of looked in my direction. Uh, but he said, the most important attribute for you to go be a successful leader in our army is humility. Yeah. Just be humble. Yeah. That was the word I was looking for. That was the concept I was looking for. That's what it hit me. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to be the all-star every day. Nope. I just simply got to go in there, tell everybody I care, take care of those soldiers and families articulate the problems we need to solve and let the talent of that organization find solutions. Once I realized that, I kind of took a deep breath and could relax and I was like, okay, we're going to do just fine. It's something that I really, really wanted to highlight, sir, because I think every leader in our organization, from the junior, junior NCO, even the people aspiring to be leaders, you know, that are not quite in a leadership position, it's something that they can learn. I'll describe some of my failures. I think as a commander, you've got to look at every failure and, and say, what was my role in that? Right. If the organization is what you say it is and put your thumbprint on the organization and it's this great team and everybody's operating with inside your intent. Well, okay, if that's true, then if something fails, what well, was inside your in intent? What was your role in that failure? I'll give you a great example. You know, this is a small tactical example to make my point. We were at Jagoon Ready. It was a, the uh, first rotation. I think this was in October of 18. You know, we're a few days in there. We had a plan to jump the regimental talk. That's always a very sensitive thing. First of all, 
we're all learning. One of the things I learned right away was, man, moving that original talk, that, that's one of those things that should, it's one of those decision points that should be on a big spreadsheet in the three shop. You know, there's what we call CCIRs tied to that. I mean, it is a, <laughs> it is a command decision of when and where to move that thing and so forth. And I had been out doing battlefield circulation and we were in the fight out there in a few places. And I came back in and it was about 2100 and it was raining. It seemed to me that there was a bit of a lull. And so I remember I looked at the uh, brigade three at the time, uh, Paul Roethlisberger. And I said, Hey, go get the XL. Let's jump the talk. Well, I didn't really have a plan. I had just, you know, kind of just driving back in my strike. I hadn't really communicated this to anyone. I just on my own in my own head thought we should jump the brigade talk tonight. You know, they're going to execute. They're going to do. You know, they, they want the command to succeed. They want the, you know, and the commander, you know, gave us this task and we're going to get this done. And, uh, but the three is like, sir, you know, we've, we hadn't really re- had an opportunity to recon. We don't know where this is going to go. And I was like, let's, let's go do that. Let's go recon a place. And I remember I'm sitting in the back of my striker. And I'm on the headset. I'm talking to the squadron commanders. You know, I've got the map board out. I've got the, the screen up there and I'm watching the fight. And I just, I do remember slowly more and more. I kept leaning more and more on the left because obviously we're getting <laughs> higher and higher altitude and a strong, a strong pitch here. And I remember it, it goes on for quite some time and the striker's kind of lurching around and we get to the very top and the three says to me, Hey, sir. Can you get out for a minute? I get out the back of the striker and it's now it's like 2300, 2330. Bright idea cutoff time was probably about an hour ago. <laughs> it's dark. It's raining. And he's like, hey, sir, we're we're stuck on top of this mountain down here. Like this is large hill down at JMRC. I mean, it's literally like a striker wide road. We had driven like eight of them up there. We're, we, we go into playing striker Tetris oh, over the next hour and a half of how to use this little B space in the dark, praying to God we don't roll the striker off the side of this, off this hillside, trying to turn them around. And I think by the time we get back to the talk, it's now like one in the morning. And I just realized... I own this failure. This was my <laughs> failure. You can't just last minute turn the organization and come up with this idea. You can't last minute like, hey, let's jump the talk right now. There's a plan that goes with that. Troop leading procedures and all those things have still got to happen. So a lot of times I've seen you've got to be willing to let people fail because I know that lesson for me now is ingrained. Yep. I physically, painfully learned that lesson by being part of it. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if I would have learned that lesson the same if I just said an AAR and someone described to me, someone else did this, another commander. It may not have stuck. Right. Right. But man, that one sticks because I lived it. I did it. It failed. I I learned from it. If you just have a fail because you were trying to meet the intent and you just didn't get it through and you just learned a life lesson, that's okay. That is why we train. Pain is a a good reinforcer of stupid Stupid thing yeah, if you've never turned a striker around in the dark under nods in like a 10 by 10 box, <laughs> it's painful. Like Austin Powers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's awesome. Let's talk about uh, balancing uh, family and work. That is a struggle at every level of leadership. As a regimental commander, even more so. There's many times where we'll look at each other and it'll be 1900 at night. We're like, wow, where did the day go? Mm-hmm. Um, it is definitely time to go home. What advice would you give? Because I know you've struggled, we've all struggled, but what advice would you give to leaders and, and soldiers you know, how to balance the work and family? I couldn't I couldn't do this without my family. They are such a source of strength for they're, they're resiliency for me. Yeah. They're all those things. And we all need to, to, to decompress and refresh at some point. And they're that resiliency mechanism for me. And I'll just tell you, coming here, I was worried. I was worried because I, I had a couple people say to me, I had someone say to me, why are you taking your family to Europe to go to 2CR? You're never going to see them. Said the same thing to me. Right. So you're never going to see them. You're always going to be gone. And that that really worried me, right? Because, I mean, when you, you 
we've all got family. And when you've got family, you're committed to that family. And so I got here though. And I realized that I remember asking myself, just, you know, kind of just thinking one day and thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, who, who's, who above me has told me to do that? Nobody. In fact, they're kind of, they're kind of in a nuanced way, trying to tell me to do the opposite. You know, senior leaders I work for weren't telling me to go harder. They were telling me to take care of yourself, take care of your people, make sure we're ready. Those were the kind of things they were saying to me. And so part of it, there was just a sea change here in Europe, inside yeah. of U.S. Army Europe. There was a time where we did have to be out there going and going and going. We were reassuring allies. But luckily for me and in the time I think we've been in here in the last couple of years, that changed and it became more about deterrence. And deterrence, in my mind, is about being really, really good. You know, if after this, I think if you know, I know how much you like combatives. If somebody's like, hey, you know, when we're done here, we're going to go over to the fight house. And uh, look, there's a, there, there, there's a couple fighters in there, but they've had like one or two lessons. You want to roll with them? Oh, absolutely. I'll get on the mat. Let's roll. They're going down and choke them out, right? But if you told me, I said, hey, sir, when we get over there, uh, former UFC uh, uh, UFC fighter champion, Uriah Faber is going to be in there. Well, I would probably find a reason between now and the fight house <laughs> to have something else to do. But like, oh, man, I really want to do it. You know, this just came. I just got this email. Right? I got to go do this thing. You got to call the CG. That's right. I got to call the CG. Uh, that's deterrence, right? Being really, really good is about deterrence. And so as I started to come to the regiment, I realized that we were in this new era. Uh, change is the constant. And this new era for us was about deterrence. And deterrence meant we had to be balanced readiness. You know, think about it, you, you can do all the life as you want, but if your striker doesn't leave the motor pool, if it won't get you the Swaki gap, you're irrelevant. You're going to fail. If you get there and you don't have the supplies you need, you're going to fail. If you get there and your people aren't medically ready to be in sustained combat, for days, weeks, months. That's what true, you know, that's the kind of readiness we need. Or if you haven't taken care of their families and they're not truly mentally switched on because they're really worried about their family back at Rose Barracks or back in back in the U.S., those are all just as big a risk as not training enough. Absolutely. And so, of course, we got to train, but we've got to balance training with equipment readiness and supply and personnel and family. And so I, I, I came to that realization. That's what the M in that team our mission is readiness. It's yeah. that holistic readiness. And then I realized for me, you know, those are all the tangibles and those are metrics you can measure and okay, we're green, amber, red in this. But then there's also the intangibles. How about us as human beings, our mental health, our spiritual health? I know my personal physical health, it's tied to my emotional and spiritual health. And if me and my family aren't right, I'm not physically going to be right Yeah, for very long. And so for me personally, I recognized I had to have personal balance. I had to have time with my family. They know there's times there's going to be, there could be ebbs and flows. There's going to be surges. Big exercise comes up, a rotation uh, down to JMRC. You know, if, we, if you got to go do the EFP mission for six months. But what I realized is I owed it to my family, which also meant then I owed it to every other soldier in this regiment, to them and their family to make sure we had enough time. So I, what I've asked of the regiment is, look, we got to get this balanced regiment. The days we do work, they're probably going to be a bit longer. Yeah. We all know generally here, it's, it's a 06 to 1830 kind of days are pretty typical. But man, we're going to protect those four days. That once a month, every month we get that four-day Donza. I think we've taken every one of them in the last two years. And if your squadron couldn't take it, I've asked your leadership there to make sure you got paid back. It got on the calendar somewhere. Yep, you absolutely. get that four-day. Because that opportunity to have that four days... Uh, to spend with your family. And truly, when I, when I tell soldiers, you know, I talk to soldiers about, uh, I want every soldier of the regiment to have that European bucket list. Absolutely. It doesn't cost a lot of money to travel around Europe. Okay. It's worth saving up for. And don't take those four days and truly go make a memory. Go take your family, take your buddies in the barracks, take someone with you and go make a memory somewhere. 
And to me, I come back from that thing, from that fort, I'm, I'm recharged, I'm refreshed, and I'm ready to get all in again for another 28, 30 days. That's great, sir. And I can, you know, I can speak, you know, I've been in the organization uh, almost three years, three years will be this fall. And, uh, you know, there was a pivotal change, you know, and it was a quality over quantity kind of mentality yeah. as far as the exercises go and the support and deterrence of the adversaries. But it's been huge for our organization because it's allowed us to focus on fundamental things and uh, focus on families. One of the pillars of readiness is family. Right. And uh, not every commander does that. Um, you know, and they don't come in with that kind of mentality. And obviously, I mean, for you, um, it's kind of, you have a big family. You know? I do. I do. <laughs> you know, so, you, you know, you have to be there and, uh, you know, you have to, you have to be a part of that, especially with three young boys. You yeah. Know? So now uh, it's, it's a uh, huge, sir. And I think, uh, it's impacted the whole organization. Um, you know, your desire to have your own personal balance has forced that down, help the regiment as a whole. Okay, sir. So, you know, one of the things that we talked about in the intro was, is that we were going to discuss leadership. Our desire with the podcast is always to make it relevant at every echelon. So, you know, after two years of uh, being the regimental commander, 20 plus years in the army, what have you learned as far as leadership? And You know, from the day you come in the army, from the day you become a soldier and then a non-commissioned officer or you commission and become an officer, from your first interactions with the army, you hear about good order and discipline. And you hear about these things. And I maybe for a while convinced myself I, I thought I knew what they were. I had to spend some time as a leader to really think about what they really are. And then the harder part then is, okay, now that I think I know what they are and why they're so important to us, how do you operationalize it or how do you execute it? How do you change a culture? If you want your organization to become have more good order and become more disciplined, how do you really do that? And so, because culture change is a, is a difficult thing. In the Army, what, what I've learned here, and, when I, and it really hit me here in these two years at 2CR, well, what really is good order? Well, I tell you, good order, routine things happen routinely. Right. That's good order. Because without it, you have chaos. Without it, you're always, everything's a crisis, right? There's no predictability. Nobody really knows what they're doing the next day or the next week. You're just constantly in a crisis because you don't have systems. And so, routine things don't happen routinely. So, everything's hard. I first thought to myself, well, the first thing we got to have inside the regiment is we've got to have good order, which means we've got to have systems. We've got to have systems that get us the results. All right. And so, you know, for example, you know, in terms of personnel readiness or training readiness and so forth, we've got to have the right systems that are laid out over time that don't violate each other. Training can't take priority over equipment readiness. They've got to be balanced or all of it can't take priority over family readiness. So you can get balance first. All right. We're going to get balance first. But before we have gains inside the regiment, we had to have this foundation of discipline. So everybody's probably familiar with the uh, with the Parthenon in Athens, right? A Greek Parthenon. It's got a foundation. It's got a hard, rock, solid foundation to it. And on top of that foundation are pillars. And I started to recognize that in some ways I had my I had my cart out in front of my horse a little bit. I needed to first get the discipline where we needed to be. So the pillars we put on top of them would stand strong discipline. Here's why. You can row the boat. You can work your butt off trying to make readiness gains. But if your organization is ill-disciplined, you will erode faster than you gain. Absolutely. And so I just, I could give you a great example. And remember, we sometimes as an organization, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to see ourselves. Uh, the first month I was in command, we had 18 DUIs. That was just the DUIs. There were also other sexual assaults, domestic violence incidents, all those things. We were going to lose a platoon every month. We can't afford every month to lose a platoon on the team to misconduct. 
Leader focus is diverted. Uh, if you're a troop commander or first sergeant, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, you're if you get that going inside your organization, you're focused on that and you're not focused on everything else and the culture you want to build. And so I recognized right away that we we had a discipline problem. And part of it was because we, the leaders of the regiment, had broke trust with our formation. I felt like in some ways we were just saying, look, you're, you're going to come here for three years and we are going to use and abuse and we're just going to go, 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 go. Everything well, else be damned. Yeah, everything else be damned. We're going to take from you, but we're going to give nothing back to you. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I think part of what, what we had to do as leaders was stop doing that and say, look, we're going to invest in you. It's about you, the individual. It's about you, the family. It's about you, the organization. We're going to take care of you. Yeah. You matter. We're going to take care of you. But here's what you got to do. You know, in every every relationship is a two way street, right? Every yep. relationship is a give and take. And leadership's a relationship. Leadership is a that's a great that's a great statement. Leadership is relationship, and we're going to vote first. Everybody gets an A from the regiment. Okay. We're going to invest in you first. Here's your four days. Here's your block leave period. What school do you need to get to? What can we do for your family? Tell me if you got a housing problem. And when we start talking about quality of life, let's make the barracks better. We built the second chow hall, got it running, right? Because the thing was overrun. Yeah. We're going to improve your quality of life. But now here's the payback. You got to commit to the Army's values. You got to get on the team. Yeah. If you want the benefits we want to help create for you as a soldier in the regiment, for your families, this misconduct has got to stop. And I'm telling you, I can't just could be more humbled by the sheer performance of our troop commanders, first sergeants, squadron commanders, CSMs, everyone on down the line to get that message out. It's not that, that nothing bad happens. Every now and then, you know, yeah, someone still strays, but we're nowhere near where we were uh, a couple years ago. DUIs, it's well over 50% um, right. that, we've, that we've cut. Sexual harassment, sexual assault, I mean, I don't even remember the percentage that it's down. Uh, it's pretty significant. Right. You know, just across the regiment, as far as misconduct, it's pretty substantial. One of the things you talked about was being an ethical person. So, you know, when you talk about the misconduct and everything else, the only thing that is standing between you becoming command sergeant major mm. or colonel is you yeah, and your ethical behavior. So, you know, the good order and discipline aspect of it and just being an ethical person is is important as well, down to the, the individual level, down to the soldier level. And uh, if you decide to make the wrong decision, well, you voted. You're not committed to the army. You're not, and as you said, you're not committed to the army values. Because I firmly believe this, and we are the best that society has to offer. And it's not only in ethical ways; it's numerous other ways. The other part of that is, is we would have never been able to meet your intent as far as that goes, sir, if we had not slowed down. Because we just, quite frankly, wouldn't have had time. Yeah, you get, sometimes you got to slow down and ask. You know, who are we at our core? What's our purpose? Why are we here? Well, we talk about, you know, we kill tanks. Why do we exist? Why are you in the army? Why did you raise your hand? You know, we talk about that, you know, that Jerry Maguire moment, right? You had me at hello. You, 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 you know, for so you had me at, I state your name. You've got my trust. I state your name. Do you solemnly swear? I believe you. I don't think I've ever met anyone who's ever served in the military, regardless of how long they stayed, that hasn't told me that it wasn't a significant pillar in their life. Absolutely. You know, your life, you know, for, for our young soldiers, your life is going to go so fast. Even if you just do your, you do four years, the uh, slideshow at the end, yeah. this is in there. There's a couple photos. What do you want those photos to be? Those other people in the photos, what do you want them to think about you? And so I'll tell you, you raise your hand, you took the oath, go all in, commit, be on the team. And for the army, that means about discipline. That means live our army values. If live our army values, we'll have a discipline organization. Because then, you know, that's that foundation. Once we have that foundation, then we can start putting those pillars of readiness on it. And we get better every day. We get just incrementally just a little bit better. 
We get, we get a little bit better at our PMCS or our vehicles. We get a little bit better at marksmanship, a little bit more physically fit. Our engineers get a little bit better at their breach operations. And every, across the board, at the top of that Parthenon, you know, if it had a roof on it, it would just say greatness. That's where I'm talking about a group of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. If you got a team like this that's disciplined and committed over time, all that readiness, all that is going to compile up to a truly great organization. Well, sir, when you get out of the Army, you can do your TED Talk on that. I can do it. That's right. I can do a TED Talk, right? Uh, the one thing I did want to come back and, and have you talk a little bit more about, sir, was uh, about investment. You talk about schools as mm-hmm. part of that investment. You know, what's, what's your kind of thought process behind that? I, you know, one of the great things about this organization, um, being forward deployed here in Europe, we're an assigned force. We already belong to the, to, to the UCOM commander because of how important this theater is to our nation and because that there is a standing threat. We get resourced incredibly well. And what do I mean? Money. We get a great budget. Sometimes I, I think maybe some folks would think because you're coming to 2CR and it's forward deployed overseas. Well, you know, for my three years at 2CR, I probably can't go anywhere and go to any schools. That's absolutely not the case. You know, you name the school from Ranger School to Sapper School to MLOC to the Hotel 8 course to whatever professional development course you are seeking, we'll get you there. And we're not going to say no. You meet the standards. You demonstrate that you're an investment that we want to make. And we're going to say yes. You know, I've been asked a couple of times like, oh, well, you know, we've got this important exercise coming up or there's this JMRC rotation coming up. So, you know, I don't think we can send them. Oh, yes, we can. You cannot leverage the short-term health and welfare of the organization. You're going to make these long-term investments because they're investments in the, in the people. They're investments in the army. Uh, and they'll come back and be investments for us. So maybe that NCO was gone for six months and he comes back and then he PCSs six months later. So what? His entire troop saw him get that opportunity and maybe two or three others step up and say, send me. I want to do that now. And that starts to shape and change culture and people see the organization's committed to them and it just takes off. As long as you meet the standards, we're going to get our return on investment. We will absolutely sign that packet and send you off to that course. Listen, I'm just going to throw a tagline in here. If you want to go to school and you can meet everything that Colonel Hope just talked about, I'll get you there. If everybody's telling you no, come talk to me. Because there's not a school we can't get people to, um, and, and we want to send people. That roof that you talk about, that excellence, that greatness, that those schools feed into that. Because they come back with that new skill, but most importantly, they also come back with a new sense of confidence. And they bring others up with them. That's a great segue into ESB, EIB, you know, the, that we just finished. The thing is, when I talk to those soldiers that, that earn their badge... They talk about how much it uplifted their confidence in themselves and what they're capable of. And now they want the next thing. They want ranger school. They want this and they want that and everything else. So. You know, think about this. Some I think is so interesting about our profession. You know, think about doctors, large, they have their own language and none of us understand it, right? right yeah. my, my doctor write, you know, writes up some um, you know, medical assessment on me. It's not written for me. I barely can understand it. It's written for some other doctor uh, that I'm going to go see and, and so forth. If you talk to normal civilians that haven't had military service, they wouldn't know what you're saying because we have our own professional doctrine. And that's part of our credentialing. Think about you as an individual soldier, a doctor, a lawyer, they hang their credentials on their wall. They put that diploma you know, in a frame and they hang it on the wall and you see it. We as soldiers, we put our credentials it's on our chest. When I see a non-commissioned officer, an officer with an EIB or an ESB, it's a credential. I am looking at that person and they are a credentialed professional. Now, I expect then professionalism and expertise from them. They have identified themselves as a credentialed professional. When I look there and see that Ranger tab or that Sapper tab or whatever it is, they're credentialed in that skill. 
And for our young officers and NCOs, that's why it's important. Because I could tell you at uh, two in the morning or a set of nods in some <laughs> other country, uh, when the when the rounds are live in the middle of a firefight somewhere, you know who your professionals are yeah. and you're looking for them. Because they're going to help you solve a problem. You know, I was a rifle company commander, uh, you know, in Iraq in 03 as we crossed. And my first turnout, we knew who were our, our professionals were in our organization. And there were times I said, hey, get me Staff Sergeant X. Get me Lieutenant so-and-so. Give me those people that are credentialed professionals. I know they have the skill set to do this right and solve this problem. Uh, that's phenomenal, sir. That's a great way to put that. What advice, what kind of last little bit of advice would you leave for the leaders and the aspiring leaders as they go forward uh, with, with the new command teams? They need to listen. Every leader in our army, every one of us, receives information in a different way. Uh, you know, right now the regimental staff knows, you know, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a one slider. I call it the one slider. Yeah. I'm a visual learner. Yep. I'm a conceptual learner. I want to, I want to talk about the concept and kind of get the, the big ideas the intent down. And once, once we have that agreement, that relationship that this is the intent, I am very comfortable with the staff now running with scissors and just going and executing uh, to meet the intent. I, and I, uh, I have to say something funny about that. You know, so if you go to the RCO's office, pretty much at any given time, you will see a mind map upon one of his whiteboards that looks a little chaotic to any other individual. And you will also see a lot of times Major David, the Regimental RS3, or the XO, Major Coyle, taking that whiteboard with them to their office to transcribe it and make it into, you know, make it into order and make it into kind of meet your intent. So, but it works. You know, mm -hmm. It does work. Sorry. I, I just had to add that because it's yeah. kind of a funny scene, but it works. I think some of them are precious works of art, maybe. <laughs> probably going to see those in the, you know, probably down to Rome somewhere on the wall someday. Um <laughs> But leadership's going to change. Going back to that, if there's any constants to change, take the time, really, truly look at your whoever your new leader is. How do they like to be communicated to? How do they receive information? Then I also personally think when you communicate matters as well. I'm a great guy to talk to in the morning. I'm a, I'm a morning person. Let's get up, do PT, happy-go-lucky. You probably don't want to float something too heavy past me at about 1430, 1500. <laughs> You not, might not be too impressed with the results because I'm not too switched on by then. And so just look at them and how do they receive information? How do you best communicate to them? When do you best communicate to them? So your first interactions, you get good interaction. You start to build that relationship with each other, build that trust, and it happens quickly. And that, that's important for the regiment. And it's important for, the, for those leaders. I'll do other things. So where are you going now, sir? So when I leave here, uh, I'm going to go take command of an SFAB. So first SFAB at Fort Benning. Given my options of what to do next, uh, there were there were staff jobs or there was, do you want to command again? I think command is absolutely a privilege. I've enjoyed every day of this here at 2CR. You know, if I want anything, I just want more of it. Yeah, I just don't want it to end. I love the relationships. I love coming and seeing the people in that headquarters every day. I love seeing you every day. Well, thank um, you, sir. I don't think everybody agrees with you. Yeah. Okay. I mean, but I do. I love our conversations. But I just love the environment. So the Army gave me an opportunity to keep doing it some more. It has a different kind of mission. Uh, but I have seen some of our senior leaders talk about what the SFABs are doing. I personally think they're an important component of our Army campaign plan, of our Army strategy for some time to come. We've got to modernize our Army to meet a near peer or peer adversary. But simultaneously, the demand of the combatant commanders, right? Those, you know, those geographic places around the world hasn't really gone down. They need the Army today. Well, it's pretty hard to modernize and be downrange at the same time. And so I think in some ways, the SFABs provide the Army the opportunity to do both. 
And so I know for, for example, I'm going to have first SFAB, which is responsible for South America. I learned the fact that I've never been there and I don't speak Spanish. I think I'm exactly the right guy for the mission. <laughs> I, I see why they chose me. Uh, although I will learn a language. Uh, that's a personal goal, a goal for me. Uh, so I'm excited to do that. It's new for the Army. In my opinion, it looks a lot like 2CR. Yeah. It's, uh, you get a lot of autonomy. Yep. To really shape and and build leaders, you know, and SFAB's really, it's really, you know, it's it's all senior leaders. It's a much smaller organization, but it's all senior leaders. And what I think is really cool about it, if you look at the statistics, I mean, they are making a whole bunch of future uh, first sergeants and sergeant majors and battalion commanders and brigade commanders. And so I get to shape a whole bunch of future leaders. But I think that'd be pretty cool. And I'd go to a part of the world I've never been to yeah. and, and be out there and be competing with our adversaries in the battle space. All right. So when you set up your uh, forward operating kind of base in Belize, like like you've talked about, if I don't know, you know, a hypothetical situation, let's say you were looking for, you know, let's say a SAR major, maybe a brigade SAR major or something. How would any soldier, how would they uh, get to an SFAB, sir? Uh, the way to get there uh, would be to send me and the SFAB Command SAR major, which right now is Command SAR Major Dotson, uh, simply to send us an email. You know, I talk about that autonomy. Uh, you know, that, that brigade commander and CSM have absolute authority to hire folks and get them on the team. So if it's, if anybody in the regiment's interested in that, send me a note and I guarantee you will, you will hear from us. Um, Sergeant Major Dotson's a lucky mofo, if I might say so myself. Well, I appreciate that, Sergeant Major. I appreciate that. It is, it has been an honor to serve with you. This regiment has the best command Sergeant Major I know in the army today. I've never met a Sergeant Major that cares about his soldiers uh, as much as Command Sergeant Major Burke cares about the soldiers of the 2nd Cavalry Regiment. And so if you haven't got out and if you haven't met Command Sergeant Major Burke, you are missing out. Just find him out there. He's out there every morning in PT. He's out at training events. He's around. Come meet your regimental Command Sergeant Major. It's worth the investment. All right, sir. So what do you want to leave with the regiment? What, what, what's your final thoughts? Don't let this pass you. Don't let this go by you regardless how far you are into your three or two, or I don't care if you only got eight months left, sit down and reflect. What more do you want to do? What more can you do for this regiment? And what more can this, this opportunity do for you? I cannot believe I am at 24 years of service because, man, I was a captain yesterday. Right. It has been such a great experience being in our Army. Even with all that I've gotten to do, I still look back at times and recognize there were other opportunities. I, I just didn't see it. I just didn't take advantage of it at the time. Yeah. And so I would just teach, tell every one of our soldiers, look at the great opportunities you have here at Rose Barracks and the 2nd Cavalry Regiment. Don't let this just pass by you. Get engaged. Come up with some goals. Seek some mentorship from your leaders. But maybe if we can all do one thing, it's just to reach out to someone else and change a life. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a day well lived right there. Thank you, sir. We want to keep these going, but we want to make sure that they're engaging. If you have any ideas of anything that you would like to have us cover, please let us know, contact the PAO and make your suggestion. Also, if you would like to be on a podcast, again, contact the PAO because we want to bring soldiers in across the entire regiment and have them contribute to this. This is Jagoon 7 signing off.